Let us turn back to the portion we have read together. Second Kings chapter 5, centering your attention tonight on words we find in verse 22. Reading 21 and 22. So Gehazi followed after Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master hath sent me, saying, Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. And so forth. We deal tonight with the sin of covetousness. The covetousness that is uh, displayed in the life of uh, Gehazi. Gehazi was a servant to the prophet Elisha. We find um, much spoken in the previous chapter, chapter four of um, events in which the prophet Elisha was engaged, involved uh, with the Shunammite woman to whom a child was given in her old age. And uh, that child restored to life later on. And the prophet and the Gehazi was the servant of Elisha on that occasion. And we find uh, Gehazi is the servant of Elisha again in this chapter that we have read. Concerning this man Naaman, the captain of the captain of the army in Syria, a great man, highly reputed, but one blemish. He was a leper. He had a maid taken captive, no doubt, in one of the Syrian invasions, uh, taken captive from Israel. And uh, she regarded her master with great favor. And she said, oh, that my master knew of the prophet in Israel who would cure him of his leprosy. And so message is brought to the king and he imperiously demands of the king of Israel that this matter be attended to. The king of Israel sees it as a, an insult to be asked to do something that only God could do. Elisha, however, hears of it, and uh, he sends uh, to let him know that there was a prophet in Israel. Again, Naaman comes rather imperiously demanding that Elisha do his bidding. See, this is something of the gospel is here. People thinking that they can get the cure for their sin by their own doings, the leprosy of sin that attaches to us. 
that by your own works, by your own earnings, we can earn that favor and have the, that leprosy attended to. Notice that um, Elisha just ignored the demand, but he gave his own command, calling upon them to go to the river of Israel and to wash there seven times. Again, imperiously, he wouldn't do so. The teaching of the chapter is salvation by grace alone. He thought that the waters of the Bana and Farpa, his own country, would be good enough. But only the waters of Jordan were the ones demanded here. See, the blood of Jesus Christ is the only at all sufficient way of having that leprosy of sin attended to. And if you're here tonight thinking that by your own works, by your own doings, by your own church attendance, by your own prayers, by the goodness of your life, by the fact that you don't do anyone any harm, if you think that that is good enough, the answer is no. Salvation is all of grace. Salvation is all through the blood of Jesus Christ. We must come in our nothingness and demerit, not in our pride, and uh, seek help at his hand. Just as this man was made to seek help and come ultimately to the waters of Jordan, as he was bidden to do, and he was washed there and he came out clean as a baby. Well, the upshot of this was that um, Naaman, in gratitude, wanted to offer some money, some tribute money for what had been done to him. <clears throat> and Elisha wouldn't have it, didn't want anything at all. He refused point blank. But the servant Elisha, the servant Gehazi, he decided, I want some of this money. And secretly, he went after Naaman, claiming fraudulently and falsely that um, there were two men, two, two men of the prophets, sons of the prophets had come to missionaries, as it were, and they were in need of clothing and they were in need of help. And could they could, could Naaman provide the, the necessary monies, the necessary help? And Naaman was more than pleased to do so. Not just what was asked, but double what was asked. And so Naaman, so um, Gehazi received, received this money secretly and uh, came to his house. He had sought fraudulently that which was not his own. He had the spirit of covetousness, which is, as I've already said, a sin. It is a great sin, this sin of covetousness. It is treated nowadays as almost a virtue. 
That's the way that uh, television adverts pander to it. More that we are engaged in this covetousness, covetous spirit, and buying one with another, trying to um, be more uh, wealthy than our neighbor. The more firms, the more businesses prosper. And so it is regarded as a virtue rather than a vice. It's lauded and praised in our day. It's regarded as something worth worth having, the spirit of covetousness. And it's a get-on way. It's a way of, make, of getting on in life and uh, very much to be praised. It's certainly not regarded as a sin, not even a breach of the civil law of the land. But it is a grasping, it's a grasping spirit of worldliness. The lust of the eye, Bible tells us, a spirit of materialism is full of sin. It is a sin that disregards the riches of heaven and wants the wealth of this world in its place. It's a root sin. And by that I mean it is implicit in every breach, in the breach of every commandment in the book. It's there in the first commandment, the second, the third, and the fourth, dealing with the first table of the law, dealing with our relations with God. It's a coveting to ourselves of the honor and glory that belongs exclusively to God himself. Self-centeredness and a spirit of uh, Mr. Big, to be, to be, to be, to be, to be something. The same in the second table of the law, coveting to ourselves that which rightly belongs to our neighbors. In every one of the commandments. It's a root sin. It's that sin that Saul of Tarsus, it was the sin that convicted him that he was coming short. He thought he was earning his way to heaven by his own works. He was in the school of Gamaliel. He was a student of religion. And oh, who was like him? He was on his way to heaven. But this was a sin that was convicted him of his shortcoming, this sin of covetousness. Because as I've said, when you have this sin, you are breaking every other commandment. It's a root sin. And um, it's a sin that ranks with, <coughs> it's a sin that ranks with theft. It's a sin that ranks with blasphemy. It's a sin that ranks with adultery. It is a major sin, despite the fact that our world and day and age treated as something to be lauded. A great sin. And which of us can say that he does not have it? This um, 
materialistic grasping spirit of the age. Not only is it a great sin, but it is a sin that dishonors God. It's a sin of ingratitude. Remember the words, I, I can't put them exactly to you just now. They find them in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 8. Give me neither poverty nor riches. That I would poverty that would make me murmur against the spirit, against the against God. Or riches that would make me self-sufficient and proud. Give me that which is sufficient to keep me God-honoring, Christ-centered, self-abasing. But it is the opposite of that. It's a proud sin of ingratitude. It's a sin that is spoken of as defined indeed as idolatry. You find that in the, the, the writing to the Colossians, chapter 3, verse 5. That it is idolatry. It is, a, it is idolatry because we're putting the material things that we seek in the place of the God who is above all. Clothes, cars, material things. And then not only is it a great sin and a sin that dishonors God, but it is a particularly heinous uh, when it enters into the church. And uh, that's what we have, and if we haven't, unfortunately, in our day and age, an invasion of the spirit of that spirit of worldliness coming into the church. And um, you see it here with Gehazi. He was very much a churchman, you might say, very much um, the servant of the prophet Elisha in his dealings with the Shunammite woman and in his dealings with this uh, leper, this uh, Syrian general who was affected with leprosy. He was, he was indeed a church person, but he had this sin. And uh, whenever it comes into the church itself, then it becomes a major issue. It becomes It becomes a leprosy in itself in our society. It takes away from the witness of the church. Far from being a, an army with banners. Far from being terrible in our, in our, in our, in our power and uh, in, in our witness. She is downtrodden. And uh, the Lord whom she represents is treated in a poor way. It is most worthy of condemnation when it comes into the church. And there is a tendency with it to self-deception. Tendency with it for every one of us to say, well, it's him who's infected with it. It's her who's affected with it. It's not me. And there's a tendency to find fault with others. 
find the moat in her brother's eye, forget the beam in her own. But there is the need for each and every one of us to begin to examine himself, herself, as to where we stand before God in relationship to this major sin of covetousness. Well, that's the first point I wanted to look at tonight, then. This major sin that uh, this man, uh, Gehazi, was guilty of. It was on the covetous spirit that he went after Naaman to seek to get at him from him. Those material things that he sought. Let us look secondly at Gehazi's detection and uh, the wages of his sin. Look at the apparent success that went with him, first and foremost. Naaman was more than pleased to give him what he wanted, even to the extent of having someone carrying them, carrying the uh, the silver and the clothes all the way to a tower to, to his home, presumably, and depositing their, them there for him. And it can be like that. It's a secret sin. And um, nevertheless, the Lord sees that which we seem to think is in secret. He that covers sin shall not prosper. And with Nathan's wealth, there went Nathan's leprosy. That was the wages of it. And not only the leprosy in a, in a physical sense, but leprosy in a spiritual sense went with it as well as the wages of his sin. And what I mean by that is the effect that it's had upon him spiritually. There's a progression in that uh, spiritual, uh, spiritual leprosy that comes, comes upon him. You see it in the insensitivity to the, to the welfare of others. You see it in the contempt. That he, can, that he can almost see him regarding uh, uh, Naaman with contempt. What do you mean? You're not taking anything from him. And regarding him as something unworthy because of that. A contemptuous treatment of the man of God. And you see that uh, also in the way that he seeks to hide his sin when asked as to what he has done, point blank, he, I went no whither. But again, he that seeks to cover sin shall not prosper. The Lord sees well. And I want to finish off by considering not just 
the greatness of his sin. And not just the detection of his sin and the wages of his sin. But what do we make of this man's future? What do we make of this man's future? We're not told. He might well have been a, a, a man of God in a very backslidden condition. Certainly in a very backslidden condition if he was. Or it's more probable that he was not a man of God at all. And that he acted, certainly acted in a worldly way, in the way that a worldling would, would act. But look at what he had seen. He had been in close contact with a man of God for a start. Close contact with Elisha, his dealings with the Shunammite. Close dealings with the Elisha in his dealings with Naaman. He had seen a godly example. And that is always something when there is that godliness in the lives of the Lord's people, Christ is lifted up, that he, Christ, through their witness, might draw to himself. That might have been the case with them. But also, look at what he had seen. I touched on a little of it already. The gospel was put before him in a cameo, in the, the dealings, in the, in, in the way that Naaman the Syrian had his leprosy cured. Not something that he could imperiously demand on his own terms that he would be cured. And neither can you sin, unbeliever, this night be cured on these terms. I've already touched on that. It's going to be by your works or by your doings. If any form, the Lord will not, will not have it. The Lord has made provision much better than the waters of Jordan. The Lord has made provision to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Great cost indeed. He spared not his own son in the Roman place of hell deserving sinners. That which ought to be yours and mine by way of punishment was laid upon his own son. He came into this world taking our nature. And in our nature, he had to withstand the catcalling. He had to withstand the rejections and the derision of men and women. Derided. He was as a roof to the dry ground to many. He was not of any worth at all. Particularly, he was made to be sin there on the cross of Calvary. There he took the sin of a multitude of people. 
all the sins, past, present, and future, of all that myriad of sinners, laid to his account. And he stood before God the judge, he who is the holiest, as the greatest sinner that ever was. And he must bear the wrath and curse due to his people as sinners. And if we go into eternity Christless, as ones who have ignored or neglected or rejected the free offer of gospel salvation through the finished work of Jesus Christ, we must bear that wrath and curse in our own persons. We must bear the hell of depart, ye cursed. And there is no other way of salvation for your soul and mine except in leaning the weight of our soul security on the passion and the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you've heard it before, often and often. The awesomeness of going into eternity as ones who have neglected or rejected the Christ of God. And it's not with any pleasure that any minister of the gospel has to address you on these terms. But um, it's for your own benefit and the good of your souls that you hear and that you attend to this great truth before you pass out of time. Because if you do pass out of time like this, you will bear that wrath and curse extensively throughout all the ages of eternity in your own passion. It will be parceled out throughout the endless ages of eternity. It will never come to an end. There will be eternal despair. You my church and trace some people in this world to, to they, 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 they taste in some measure of temporal despair. Some who caught, get caught up with drugs and drink come into the yellow sea of life. But even in the midst of that temporal despair, there's always a glimmer of little hope inside it. One day things will change. But in eternity, it's eternal despair. 
and there will be the knowledge that it shall never come to an end. And the fact that knowledge will intensify the soreness of it. Why should it be so? Are you going to be once? Are you going to be like like uh, like 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 Naaman? Are you going to be like the king of Syria, scoffing at this way of salvation for your soul? Or are you going to be one seeking the grace of God to be enabled to enter into your responsibility and great privilege of closing in with Christ on gospel terms? Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to that finished work of the cross I cling. This was the only way that uh, Naaman could be healed. This was the only way that Gehazi could be healed. He had heard the message of salvation there in the dealings of the Lord with Naaman and the Syrians. The waters of Babana and Farpar were not of no use. The waters of Jordan representing the Christ of the gospel. He scoffed, but oh, he turned back. And he received that cleansing whereby this leprosy was taken away. There is a deeper leprosy in sin itself that you and I need to attend to before we pass out of time. My friend, can I address you like that? Seek the Lord while he is to be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. That's the unbeliever. The unrighteous man is thought. And let him return to the Lord. And he will abundantly pardon. He delights in mercy. Who is a God like unto thee that pardons iniquity? Passes by the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance will not hold his anger forever because he delights in mercy. That mercy secured in Christ and the blood of Christ seek to be found under the shelter of that atoning blood. Let us pray. Eternal and ever-blessed one, we thank thee for the simplicity of the gospel. And we thank thee for the depth of the gospel. It is simply profound and it's profoundly simple. We thank thee for the provision that thou hast made, sparing not thine own son, the darling of thy bosom. We thank thee that in him the promise is that thou that spared not thine own son, how shalt thou not with him also freely give thy believing ones all things? Enable us then to consider these things 
before we pass out of time. Receive us with a pardon of our sins, the sin of covetousness and all our other sins, that they would be covered into the shelter of the atoning blood. Amen.